Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Brandon Shockney. Brandon, how are you? Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We're enjoying some fine artisanal fall weather here in Chicago in the Midwest of the U.S., and it's cold and leafy out. How about you? Uh, We're enjoying a downpour of rain all day today. Um, so although it's been nice fall weather around it today, it's sad rains. <laughs> uh, later on today, uh, I'm going to be interviewing Chris Bashan. Chris is actually someone who's been a guest on the podcast just to talk about games before, but also one of his you know daytime occupations is he is a motion capture artist, and he has worked on several of the NetherRealm games that have come out here uh, in the past you know, a decade or so, such as uh, the Injustice franchise and the Mortal Kombat franchise. That is so awesome. Very cool. You got to you gotta work your way into uh, doing motion capture for one of the characters in an upcoming game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been uh, busting out the ring fit here, so I'm working on my flexibility and my core there strength. There you go. You're, you're going to be playing Johnny Cage in no time. Absolutely. I've I've been working on my sunglasses move. I've only poked myself in the eye doing it a couple times. <laughs> it's all right. You know what? They've all all the Johnny Cages have been there. But before we get to that interview, Brandon, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Woohoo! Yeah, no, I'm excited about this one. Me too. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so, uh, Brandon, you selected that we're going to watch Gumball. Yes, the amazing world of Gumball. Show that I uh, have, I always end up kind of just catching episodes here and there. But uh, when I do, it's it's such a delight. It seems pretty funny. Like, I, I remember even, I don't have cable, but one time when I was visiting, like, my aunt, uh, it, I just was channel surfing and I found an episode where they were playing tennis against, uh, like, this doubles team of, like, 80-style uh, macho jocks and it was really funny yeah i mean the the humor for uh for a kid's show is just really sharp really fast um so yeah no no i i always catch it uh well it's all on hulu so i've watched a few that way but then i always end up uh, when i'm like staying at a hotel or traveling or somewhere um usually because there's so many episodes of it usually an episode of gumball is is on at some point during my stay so um, i catch it then because it's just uh, funny and, and easy to watch. For today, we're going to be talking about the episode called The Console, Season 5, Episode 18, original air date, February 16th, 2017. Yes, I, and I, th- I think right off the bat, um, this, one, uh, this one gets me because, um, well, I, as a kid growing up, right, I, we didn't have a lot of uh, game consoles in the household, but the one thing I did have was a Game Boy, um, and I loved the Game Boy. So this, uh, this, the beginning of this where uh, he gets a knockoff game child 
was, <laughs> was great. I love, uh, all, already the jokes are firing um, off and kind of resonating with me um, because, yeah, Game Child gets me every time. Was it just like a general household rule that there could be like no, like basically no systems that could plug into a TV, but like handheld systems were okay? Um, yeah, no, it was, it was something about, um, I think my, my parents just wanted me to socialize and, uh, go outside and play and stuff, which, uh, I, I gotta say I, it worked. Like I did a lot. I was, uh, very much wanting to go outside and like explore with friends and like video games were just, um, kind of a, a side thing that here and there. Uh, but yeah, the Game Boy, um, was always good for, you know, traveling. And even then, I think an expectation had been set to where uh, I wouldn't play, you know, my Game Boy for hours and hours. I would uh, kind of self-regulate, I think. And I, I'd want to go outside and do other things. Um, so, no, I think it uh, it was a good rule, at least for me. That's very mature of you because it feels like with a handheld, there would be more opportunity for you to go off someplace and, like, sit in your room or sit in, uh, like under a tree somewhere out in the neighborhood and play for hours and hours that way. Uh, the, like the regulatory way we had it in, in my household was um, one of my first systems was a Sega Genesis, but it was located at my grandmother's house. So it was uh. like a shared system that my cousins and I had. And so anytime if we wanted to play video games, like we'd have to go over there or, uh, we did uh, I have a TurboGrafx-16 also in our family home, but that was on the living room TV. So that was never like anything I could have unfettered access to. It would have to be like monitored that way. Right. And I think another factor too, at least for me, um, was just the number of games we had. So I only had like a select few for my Game Boy. You know, I mean, the big one that I really remember becoming addicted to uh was pokemon right the original i had pokemon um uh red uh, and i just i loved that game so uh played played it a whole bunch well in this episode uh gumball he's playing the game called i have to make sure i read this correctly inverted paradox the enemy within uh this is a, a jrpg styled game with a nonsensical name yes and uh, it's called out uh, pretty much immediately, um, which is where I knew uh, I knew this was going to be um, uh, one of the best. I, I think already, and I you know I don't want to hype it up too much, but going into this conversation, I think this is one of the best video game parodies I've seen in a, in television. Like I think uh, it works so well, maybe because it's so rapid fire and everything it crams into like twelve minutes, right? But uh, no, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, inverted paradox, and it even had the symbol, the like Final Fantasy VII like fireball symbol uh, yeah. <laughs> behind behind it. Uh, so they were definitely uh, going for something specific there. Yeah, they definitely they were going for a kind of an RPG pastiche. But if you had to pick one game they were going after, it was Final Fantasy VII. There are some very very specific allusions to Final Fantasy VII throughout this episode. Yeah, uh, to the point where not only was I uh, laughing, but I was also impressed at just how specific and how deep um, the references were going into uh, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, especially because, like, 
your target audience, like kids uh, that are, you know, of the appropriate age to be watching this TV show, right, have no reference for Final Fantasy VII. Um, so the fact that they're they're taking the time to uh, really hit that home just speaks to like the level of commitment with that, and uh, it makes makes it a show that is more. Uh, for multi-generations that as opposed to you know just um, a kid's show so uh, no i appreciate that getting older it's definitely become more and more apparent when like things that i thought as a kid were like original and uh completely not based on anything else were actually the the writer or the animator referencing their own childhood so it's kind of funny here to like thinking about that because like when we were kids, it would have been like the reference point would have been Pac-Man or Tron. I feel like even Tron to this day still gets a lot of run as like the go-to reference for like being inside a video game. So I thought it was a really nice breath of fresh air and maybe like a, a generational shift that we're moving into the PlayStation era of this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. No, I can't wait for uh, shows and cartoons in 20 years to be uh, referencing VR in their TV shows um, and parroting, uh, uh, yeah, that, like the motion um, controls and stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it's so funny how it's it's kind of playing catch up, but it really, it really works. It really um, um, rewards you for having that knowledge. Uh, to, get, to get back to um, the the like kind of plot of this episode. I just wanted to say, I like that it wastes no time really trying to explain or justify, right? It's like, okay, the the console he was given put Gumball into a video game and everyone is just kind of on board, including him right away, right? Like he doesn't waste any time being like, I'm stuck in a video game. Oh man, wait, I have to like wrestle with that concept. Instead, he's like, this is awesome. Um, and, uh, my family is like my party and I, uh, they're totally on board. So let's go, uh, play, play the game. Um, so I like that. It just kind of hits the ground running with all that. Like you said, yeah, the game, the episode wastes no time and in getting into it. Like even before they jump into the parody, Gumball is just firing off jokes constantly, uh, spoken and animated. And like right as soon as he enters the game, he names himself my butt. Which oh, is something man. I never had the courage to do when I was playing a game. So, so good. Especially when my favorite part of the joke is that it really does get funnier as it continues. Like the more it's done, you think there would be diminishing returns. And he, he even calls it out. He's like, please, my butt. Tell me what is going on. <laughs> a foul curse has been unleashed upon our town by my butt. You mean the gates of doom were opened by my butt. The fabric of the universe was ripped apart by my butt. My butt has made quite a mess. <laughs> Surely this is going to get old at some point. Here's some healing ointment to help my butt in the heat of battle. Um, so I, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I... Going, going into it when they finally start playing the game, uh, I just want to call out my favorite joke. Do you have a favorite joke from the episode? Oof. Um, my, my favorite is when they're going and like they're about to go to the final dungeon and mm -hmm. they're like, well... Wait, don't you kind of want to hear that awesome battle music one last time? Do-ba-do-ba-do 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 Banana 
<laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's so good. I think my favorite my favorite joke um is when uh they go uh like Gumball just starts like goes into this man's house and he starts like taking um all the items and they're like I think this is stealing. You can't just take whatever you want. And he's like, "No, it's a video game." And he like talks to the old man and he makes the old man like give him money and it, it cuts to like a close-up of the old man's face and he's like crying because like he's even though he's like agreeing to giving him the old money like uh, uh inside he's not wanting to uh to do it so i thought that was that was very good this like moment of these tears going down his face were very funny it was really good. Yeah, that, that was another really good one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're trying to make their way through this RPG. They're trying to f- find out who put them in this world and how to get out of it. And after a while of, like, looting around and trying to uh, finish some side quests, they figure out they have to go to this evil building with a giant skull on it that's very conspicuous. Right, yeah, they had their super tedious side quests where they had to, like, collect birds or something from all over, um, which, yes, very good. Uh, because he's, like, Gumball is a completionist, so he wants to get 100%, so he has to do it. And it's uh, the Awesome Store, which, is this, a, like, a recurring thing on the show, the Awesome Store? I I don't know um i that that wasn't something uh, i just love that when the awesome store is referenced it gets like an extra uh like it gets its own dialogue box line and then people are like the awesome store or whatever um uh, no that was that was very good uh yeah they get to this um final boss which uh is such a good setup or it looks great too like um i like how they're all slightly pixelated versions of um themselves yes yeah that that was a really nice touch too is like all the allusions to that era of like mid to late 90s jrpg graphics like when they go into the battles the 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 floor is always this flat polygonal surface looking uh image which is really appropriate to that era and and Mm -hmm. it was like a nice touch and i like it because everyone else but gumball is um in that in that world right so where gumball stands normally and doesn't move but uh his um like brother and sister like they they kind of sway and move when they're standing in place like uh you know characters would in in a video game like that so i just little touches like that where he's not directly affected but everyone around him um is is that same way and at the uh even when they like approach the final dungeon, like they're the way they're like looking up at it, like it's they have to change the perspective to give it like more of a cinematic look than I think they normally would do on this show. Like they're, they're creating a, they're creating a new camera angle just to parody an RPG camera angle. Right. Yeah. No. When they when they finally get to this final boss, uh, yeah, and we get especially when we get to the uh, like summoning sequences and stuff um that feel very like oh man we're really going after something specific here with how we're uh positioning things and whatnot so yeah no it was very good the the other the other joke um that i really enjoyed uh in this final boss sequence is when they're all like really low health 
and one of the characters is like, use the potion. And he's like, but we, might, <laughs> but, we, but we might need it later. Like, I, I feel that so hard, right? Of like not using the items that the game gives me because I, I feel like I got to save it for some, some undetermined time. I, I was feeling that recently. I was playing through uh, Persona Q2 and I'm pretty near the end. And I have these items that I've been stashing the whole game that are like, they, they don't sell them in, in the shops, but you can pick them up, up occasionally where it's like restore all HP and MP to one character or restore all HP and MP to a, the whole party. And as you know, in the Persona games, these boss fights can be kind of like a marathon. So you, you really can get a good uh, boost out of using them in the right spot. And I'm just like, uh, this is like probably close to the end of the game, but I'm not sure I might need it later. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, I love it. I, I love it. I'm the same way in games like that, especially with those items where it's like restore MP and HP for all party members. Like I always seek those out or whenever I get them, I'm like, thank God. Or whenever I have the option to buy them, I'm like, I have to spend so much of my money on these and then I never use them. It's it's like <laughs> I make it so much harder for myself. It's like if I had just used these throughout the game, I'd be in good shape. I, actually, I have an even more appropriate example I think of. I, I was playing Bloodstained recently. Uh, not that recently, a couple months ago. And I was getting really frustrated trying to fight the, like, maybe not the final boss, but very close to the final boss. And then I was like, you know what? This is dumb. I'm being dumb about this. And so I went to the shop. I sold everything except, like, my equipment and, like, a couple things. And then I bought, like, a hundred potions. And then I went and I fought the boss and just like whenever I got low on health, I ate the potions. And suddenly it was a lot easier. Yeah, you know, <laughs> funny, <laughs> funny how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> when you use the help that the game gives you. Um, it, weird. Yeah, right. But uh, in, anyway, so yeah, they, they fight this boss um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're getting their butts kicked, but they end up using the, the summons, uh, which is like gumballs different friends and uh, uh like family members uh which are all very funny i i think the mom uh gumball's mom is my favorite character uh, <laughs> in the series uh so like her attack being just like a, i'm not mad i'm disappointed was very good too i like that as an attack that was really good yeah mm-hmm. yeah and after uh so like initially they thought they had to fight the shopkeeper but he's like no i'm not the final boss the game child is the final boss and then they're right. like oh so inverted paradox actually it actually meant something oh yeah, yeah right <laughs> uh but no and then it wraps up as quickly as it began um uh which i like i like that these these episodes are kind of in and out um and no i i really enjoyed it i thought it was very good yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I, uh, it, was an, it was a nice stinger at the end where it's like... Congratulations, you completed the game at 89%. Yay! What do you mean 89%? Do you want to start a new game? <gasps> so, uh, Brandon, yeah, at this point we should rate this episode on the three typical categories. Those would be accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. And just mm-hmm. like with any good video game, we're going to rate them on a scale of 6 to 10. So uh, let's get started with accuracy. Uh, if you, Brandon, found this episode, the console, to be completely inaccurate to video games, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely accurate, give it a ten. 
you know what? I think I'm going to go all in on this. I think I'm going to give this a 10. I think this, because it's such deep, specific pulls that it makes, specifically to Final Fantasy VII, I think uh, I think it's worthy of a 10. I, I Clearly, some thought was put into how these things are portrayed. So, no, I, I'm giving it full marks on accuracy. Yeah, I, I think uh, I can't really dispute that. I think I should go with a 10 as well. Like, the... The specific references to FF7 are great. Like when they're doing the summons at the end, like the little prelude animation of the orbs swirling around, like it looks just like what happens in FF7. And I don't know if this was intentional, but the idea of like having kind of a cheap knockoff console, like it's always been a possibility, but I think it's like more and more you see these like just everywhere. Like there'll be like, oh, we have like 60 games crammed into this little... uh Game Boy type thing, and we sell it at Walgreens. Like I think right. that's more and more common now as they, those get cheaper to make. Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Next up is condescension. If you found this to be completely uncondescending, give it a six. If you find it to have been extremely condescending, give it a ten. You know, I think this is a little bit uh, trickier because I think it does poke fun at a lot of things, but it also clearly has a lot of like um, heart and a lot of love for these type of games too. So I would I would kind of give it a middle of the road. I'd probably give it like a 7.5 maybe. Um, because I think, I, I think, you know, the super tedious side quest, like we're taking pot shots at these different things. But I also think like, you know, they're, they're kind of well-deserved uh, uh, parodies of, of these things. So... Um, I didn't feel like it was cheap at all or anything, but uh, yeah, I'll go with seven point five. I'll go with I'll go with an eight. Like I, I feel like mm-hmm. the uh, thing that really stuck out to me was when they did the side quest where they have to collect all the birds, and then uh, when Gumball comes back, he's heavier, he's wearing a trench <laughs> yeah. coat and balding. And <laughs> I he forgot gets about that. The no life trophy, which, uh, <laughs> and he's like uh, worth it. <laughs> i forgot about that yeah no smidge condescending yeah no no for sure but also again super funny so yeah yeah (laughs) worth it and lastly uh there is entertainment brandon if you found this episode to be completely unentertaining give it a six if you found it to be extremely entertaining give it a ten you know, I've talked it up so much. You know, I got to give it a 10. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've gone full full marks on this, too. I, like I said, it's in and out. Bunch of jokes crammed into a short uh, time period. I, I'm a huge fan. So, 10. I'm going to go with a 9. I, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I liked all the FF7 references. I, I felt like maybe something... Maybe this is like how the show is. It felt like there was a lot of time where it was just gumball commenting on the things that were going on and like Mm. like just stopping the action to make jokes about it which you know maybe that works for other people i mean certainly that's been a thing that's happened since like bugs bunny but uh yeah i i I didn't always love that i was just like yeah let's just let's do more of the like animated jokes let's do more with like the material instead of having a character like talk about the stuff you know right right and i think that's the nature of it being um them them trying to recognize that it's a kid's show as well right because 
they feel at a part of it, it's like, well, we got to kind of just say the thing, right? Because if we don't, um, then a lot of the jokes are going to go over, you know, kids' heads or, or whatnot if we don't directly call it out. I mean, that that is a habit I think you have in movies and TVs because kind of centered around um, uh, kids, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think I think that's where a lot of that's coming from. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. It's a children's cartoon. I'm 34 years old. Maybe it's not meant for me, so that's, that's fair. Uh, but I'm going to call it like I see it. I'm, I'm here it. to give... I'm, gonna, I'm here to review this. I'm here yeah. to offer my critical analysis of this cartoon. We, we've done it. We did it. We did it. It took 25 minutes, but we did it. So good work, team. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, thank you, Brandon, so much. Uh, that does bring an end to our screen watching segment. Uh, when we come back, I'll be talking with uh, Chris Bashan. And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line right now is Chris Bashan. Uh, Chris has previously been a guest on So Many Bits uh, numerous times, but today we're going to talk to him about his work in the video game field because he is a motion capture actor and has worked on many of the NetherRealm titles. So thank you very much, Chris, for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Bill. I'm uh, excited to talk about this weird field that I uh, have the pleasure of working in. (laughs) It's just funny because, you know, we kind of connected over our, our different uh, video game podcasts. I mean, you have a, br- a wider breadth to yours than just video games, but, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I didn't, I had no idea that you had this, uh, you had this hustle, this uh, side gig going on with uh, NetherRealm. That's amazing. Uh, how did you get started there? Yeah. So, I mean, I was an actor in Chicago um, before I moved to Los Angeles and um, about, you know, like eight or nine years ago, uh, maybe it was almost 10 at this point, um, my agent contacted me and they were like, hey, a, a video game company in town is casting for a video game uh, and they we want to send you in for it. Um, and they told me it was Midway Games. Now, I'm a gamer. Like, I'm, I'm very aware of who Mid- Midway Games was and I was aware that they were in Chicago. So she sent me the script and I just looked it over real quick and I was just like, this is not, this is not me, <laughs> you know, like this is like, they need ninjas. Like they're looking for ninjas, you know? So I, I wrote my agent back or, and you know, and I was like, Hey, I don't really think I'm a great fit for this. Um, you know, I don't know if I should go in. And she called me and she was like, Hey, look, they're just, they want actors who can move. They really need actors who can move. So just go in, you know, do your thing and and just have fun with it. And the script that I got was a dummy script. Um, all the character names had been changed, but it was really pretty clear that it was Batman versus Joker. Mm. Um, you know, it was it was like I forget I forget the exact wording, but it was like the vigilante versus the clown. You know, and even though the script had been dummied up, I think the word Gotham was still in there. You know, so I mean, I knew I knew it was some type of fighting game with, you know, DC characters of some type. Yeah. So I went into this audition and 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 just moved around. I auditioned as the Joker and also as I think Green Lantern was the other person that I auditioned for. 
even though they weren't called, it was called like Sentinel or something like that. And I went in and just did this kind of like really physical performance, especially with Joker that was kind of like trying to borderline on like, you know, clown work and like exaggerations and all this stuff. And I left the audition and was like sitting in the hallway and like texting one of my friends and one of the guys came out. I remember who it was actually, it was John Vogel, who's a, who's a, uh, has been a long time employee at NetherRealm and, and is a friend of mine. And he walked by me and he's like, Hey, that was really great work, man. Good job. And I mean, I didn't know who that guy was, but I was like, Oh, thanks. And I left and I was like, there's no way I got that. There's, you know, like it just didn't make any sense to me. Like I was, I, I just didn't understand, you know, we had Lord of the Rings, but I didn't really understand what performance capture was at the time. And then a couple like days or maybe a week or two later, I got the call that, 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 yeah, they cast me and it was the project specifically was MK versus DC. So that's kind of how I fell into it. MK versus DC is an interesting kind of turning point. It seems like with NetherRealm because they were coming off like all the, uh, like the games from the PS2 GameCube Xbox era, which were like deadly Alliance. And like, I think they had Mm -hmm. just done uh, mortal Kombat Armageddon at this point. This was like their, uh, their beta, I mean, it was like an actual game that got released, of course, but it was like, this was their first attempt to switch the fighting engine up uh, with mm-hmm. MK versus DC. Yeah, and you know, like, it's it's really funny. Um, they were still midway at the time, and I think I think MK versus DC was supposed to be positioned as, as competition for Marvel versus Capcom. Like, I think they were trying to tap into that kind of same crossover fighting market. Um, and MK versus DC did okay. I don't think it broke the doors down. I don't think it sold uh, super great. And I know there was a lot of criticism um, because, you know, they're the makers of Mortal Kombat. Uh, but this is also DC characters, so there's a certain level of violence that could that had to be omitted, you know? It's been a long time since I've played that game, but I think... Uh, like I don't like Superman can't kill in that game if I remember correctly. Like he doesn't have a fatality; he has like a brutality or something. Um, and most of the DC characters, if they were heroes, especially, were like that. So yeah, I think it got good, you know, like good reviews for a for a strange crossover story. But as a game as a whole, uh, I don't think it it did great. And it's really funny. I remember being at a bar uh, at Second City, and. I was I was sitting down with my castmates and like a friend of the cast was sitting there and uh, it came up that I had worked on the game and that I did motion capture for it. And this guy looked at me and he's like, whoa, you did you did motion capture for MK versus DC? And I was like, yeah, I did. I I was the Flash and I was Cabal and, you know, it was really cool. And he's like, well, that game sucked, man. <laughs> that game sucked. Uh, and he he said it in a way that it was like oh like he God. was blaming like he was blaming me. Uh, and I was, I, I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I made your gaming experience bad. I don't know. It was really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then not too long after that, uh, Midway went bankrupt. Like it, it was the gaming news hit that Midway went bankrupt and it was very much kind of like a, that was a great project to work on and we'll never get to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, luckily that was not the end of that particular relationship. But uh, before we continued down that path, I was just wondering, like, so you mentioned that you had some uh, a clown training uh, before you had worked, uh, started working on these roles. Now, did you have any other kind of specialized uh, performance training that kind of helped you get these parts? I think, like, 
generally speaking, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about like where motion capture has gone. But like back in the day, um, far, parts of it really felt uh, like any physicality that that you can bring to it obviously helps. Um, I've noticed in LA, like a lot of motion capture people. Um, some of them are stunt people. Some of them are like really physical actors. Um, they, but they come from some type of, of physical background. Um, I took a lot of dance in college, which I think helped me. And I did study Aikido for a little while, but I would not like label myself a great martial artist by any stretch. Um, but I just move weird. Like I love to move in really interesting ways. And I mean, my theater school that I went to, you know, we had Alexander class and technique and, um, obviously a lot of improvisation and stuff and physical improv. So, um, I think any of that, if, if you're looking to get into this field, uh, really obviously helps, you know, um, I took gymnastics for a little while just to learn to kind of fall better and tumble better, which really helped me out. But as, as I'm sure we'll discuss, I like being the weird characters. Like I love weird characters. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you've portrayed, uh, se- several different characters, both in DC and in the MK universe, and they uh, some are good, some are bad, some are more straight laced, some are a little more eccentric. So maybe you could take me through. Uh, like we'll just go down the list of some of the characters you've portrayed, and like the, any techniques you use to help uh, get into their headspace, or like things you think about when you're uh, preparing to embody them. Um, well, can we talk about the resurrection of NetherRealm real quick, actually? Oh, yes, of course. Um, yeah. Because the next game that came along was Mortal Kombat 9, which was kind of like their big reboot of the franchise and, and introduced the X-rays and some really gratuitous violence. Um, that's when uh, Midway was, was bought by Warner Brothers and rebranded as NetherRealm. And I, I just have to say, as a gamer working on that game was so cool just because they kind of do the Star Trek reboot thing where, you know, the the synopsis of the plot is Raiden sends a message to himself in the past and you see the events of Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3 again play out, but in, you know, new technology and new storytelling. And as somebody who had played those games, working on that game and watching that story and telling that story was just kind of like a real... I had a lot of real personal connection to it because I, I knew these events. I knew Sector and Cyrax and, you know, we saw Jax get his arms ripped off. Like seeing all these events that we had familiarity with in the original trilogy was just brought into a new generation was really, really, for me as a gamer, just a cool experience. Yeah. So specifically, like that was the next game that was brought on. And after they um, rebranded as NetherRealm, that's the game we all worked on. And in that game, I was Shang Tsung which was a total blast because I love playing villains. (laughs) And like for that game, I remember there was a lot of um, trying to take Shang Tsung into this kind of like regal, uh, you know, kind of pompous asshole like territory. So we ended up making a lot of his movements. Like he's a very like upright man, you know, like he, he would fit very well into the Star Wars empire system, you know, like he'd be great with all those British actors. (laughs) Like he's already so upright and kind of like, kind of like how he is in the movie with, uh, Gary, what's his name? Uh, Carrie, what's his name? Uh, I gotta look it up. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? You know, like he's, he's just this really just prim proper villain until it gets, you know, 
mean and dirty and very different from Shao Kahn. And that was so much fun. Uh, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I did have a quick question if we could uh, talk about that switchover from Midway to Netherrealm. Now, was there a big change in like the operations of the studio? Like, was it all the same people? Was there a different level of uh, like funding now that Warner Brothers was involved? Yeah. So like working, working in motion capture is really like working on a set. And I guess what I mean by that is like, if you've ever worked on a set in a day player role, or even I guess like a guest starring or, or a limited role, like you come on to like a team or a production company and you work really closely with those people for like a few weeks and then you go away (laughs) and they keep doing their thing. So like, And especially, like, in video games, you know, from pre-production to post-production, like, they're working on this game long after, long before we've walked into the studio and long after we've left it. There were a few people lost in the um, switch over to Netherrealm, some by choice, some by not choice, but I, hopefully that the people who, who were not there found success elsewhere i hope you know the first game was such a weird experience to work on mk versus dc that i only really got to know the director and a couple of handful of other people going back into mortal kombat 9 after they had rebranded um we still had the same director but i don't remember all of the support staff like john vogel was is still there actually and he was i believe one of the writers for that game so we would see John from time to time. But usually, like, when we go in to do cinematic work, you know, we're only working with the cinematics team. Like, we don't work with the gameplay team or the designs or anything like that. Like, we, those, those are separate departments. So, yeah, it's kind of like walking onto a set. Now, you, had, you described uh, portraying Shang Tsung in MK9. Did you, uh, were you more motion capturing for anyone else? Yeah, so in MK9, uh, I was Shang Tsung, I was Cabal... And usually we would also be like random Tarkatans or monsters or like soldiers, like a lot of background work too for like stuff that they need to fill into the background. Um, And we'll do some of the in-game content. When you see them really start to bust out like crazy martial artists, that's a Wushu team uh, or martial artists that they'll, they'll bring in either from Chicago or around the country to make that look really awesome. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, we'll do some of the end game work, but yeah, usually when we, when you're given a character, it's kind of for scripting reasons. Like they don't want to try and play you off against yourself too much. So like, you know, if Shang Tsung and Cabal are in like 10 scenes together, it's probably not a good idea to give that to the same actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Cause then you're having to double shoot everything. Uh, they usually break it up and kind of like mix it among among the different actors. But for that game specifically, I was Shang Tsun and Cabal. So uh, just with the other actors for doing more of the advanced uh, martial arts moves, would they say like, hey, Chris, throw a right hook here just to like have you do that while you're there? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. And and yeah, so so they need to blend animation sometimes. Like, so if there's like an intense fight sequence and then then they go into an acting sequence or vice versa, they'll need to blend animation sometimes. So like, you know, if they had have already fought, if they've already filmed the stunt work, you know, and it's like this guy's coming out of a tuck and roll or he's coming from a knockdown, you know, like we have to go into that knockdown and come back up or stuff like that. Or th- like what you said, you know, like, hey, the last thing we saw was he threw this, hook, you know, right hook. So we need like 
this bit of action here to go into this or whatnot. Yeah, there's a lot of blending of animations and trying to match up the two sequences that happens for sure. It appears that in the most recent game, MK11, you uh, had a role as a Shinnok and you, <laughs> you were in a bit of a discomfort in that role. You had to portray that you were in a bit of pain. Uh, do you do you have a way of like trying to imagine how these moves are being inflicted on you? Because I'm sure that like there are times where it's like, all right, Chris, uh, you're going to get your head ripped off here. So uh, go for it. <laughs> well, there's a lot of mats, thank God. Um, and uh, so that helps lessen the falls. I remember I, I I'm trying to remember which character it was, but I remember... My friend Carlos Piscina, who's who works at uh, uh, Nether Realm, he's one of the main. Um, I think he was the original Raiden, and he's he's been with the company a long time. Um, he's such a cool, just master martial artist ninja guy. Um, he comes up to me, and he's, you know, we have to do this flip. I forget which character it was, but I had to be like flipped upside down and, and thrown on the ground. And I, he just came over, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna flip you." I was like, great, you know, I trust you, it's all good. And like we we all get set up and we call action and he really flipped me. He really really flipped me really fast. Whoa. Like I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting it to be so fast and so smooth, you know? Like he's obviously very he's done this many times before, but suddenly I'm upside down and I'm on the ground. I was, you know, like it looked great. Uh, but it really <laughs> caught me off guard. <laughs> and I just like remember when we were done, I was like, I don't I don't remember getting to the ground, Carlos, but <laughs> thank you for getting me there safely. Did you? So you were just standing there. You're just like standing, arms at your sides, legs straight. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was for, which character it was, and I don't remember. Um, but I do remember for Injustice, if anyone's played the first Injustice, I was the Joker, which was a really, really wonderful dream job that character that I've always wanted to play and is one of those you know I checked off a box that day when I was cast as a Joker and at the beginning have you played that game Bill do you know the beginning of that game Joker like kidnaps Lois Lane right am I right yep he kidnaps he 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 gets Superman to accidentally kill Lois Lane that's the start of the story and and Superman shows up and he you know, into this prison where the Joker is being interrogated by Batman and he knocks Batman out of the way and he grabs the Joker and he just starts like throwing him from wall to wall. And like the Joker is monologuing and, and like egging him on. And I remember the day we filmed that, um, we set up like all these guys were holding these mats like upright (laughs) so that the guy who was playing Superman could just like slam me into him. And I mean, I'm a generally lightweight guy, and the guy who's playing Superman is 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 much beefier than me for sure. Um, so he did it. Like he he would just like we would just throw me around. It was a we we set aside the afternoon to like really work through this scene and like the physicality of it. And really, just beating uh, it was the great. shit out of it, you for a whole afternoon. A, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like that was that was a fun day, and it you know afterwards like. He he was gripping. I mean, the spandex suits don't have a lot of room for grip. So like when he would grab me, he would grab into my flesh. And I mean, I was okay with it. Like I'm there to like try and make this <laughs> look as real as possible. But after that day, I had like these welts all along my um, uh, clavicle and on my sternum from where he was like gripping me on the suit. Uh, and like my back was like bruised, but it was great. It was so great. <laughs> it looked great. It turned out great in the in the in the scene so 
I'm going to at least have to go back and check that out on YouTube if I can't dig up a Oh, yeah, yeah. There. All the story sequences are on YouTube, so, yeah. <laughs> now, you, you know, you've talked about how you enjoyed being the Joker, and it sounds like you liked uh, being Shang Tsung a lot. Uh, any other uh, performances that really stand out to you? Anyone you really liked being? Uh, you were right. I was Shinnok, um, which was kind of like a more evolved Shang Tsung. Um, Joker really is like a personal favorite. I mean, it's the Joker, you know. Um, and I was cast at a time when the when Heath Ledger had just passed away. Um, so there was kind of this. Um, they wanted to make sure that we we didn't dive too much into the Heath Ledger Joker. You know, like we were trying to create our own thing. So I I did a lot of watching of the Batman the animated series. I mean, that's always a great time. And reading of the Killing Joke and stuff, and tried to really try and separate this Joker and make him a little more, I would say, a little more like the animated series Joker versus the Heath Ledger one. And it was great. It was really, really, it was such a fun. He shows up just a quick little bit in Injustice 2. But the Joker really is like one of those roles that I'm like, yep, I did that. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna be very proud of that. Shinnok was fun. I vill- Villains are just fun. V- playing the bad guy is just fun. Because I'm generally like, you know, uh, a nice little nerd. So getting to play villains, like I play villains in D&D all the time. Like it's so great. <laughs> you know, being the bad guy is so fun. One role that I got to play that I, that I didn't think I would like as much as I did but ended up really loving is in Injustice 2, I was Firestorm. Um, I was the Firestorm in Flash. And I personally was not very familiar with Firestorm. You know, I feel he's like maybe a, B, a B-tier character. You never like he's watched not like as... uh, Super Friends or Super Powers when you were little? No, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> and And I know there's like multiple versions of firestorm just like there's you know wally west and barry allen and multiple versions of the flash um so it was really fun to get to play this kind of like cocky hot-headed teenager who just had this like power fire like it was such a it was like such a fun youthful role to play which i hadn't played in a while because you know most of these characters are like adults you know and and whatnot but it was fun to kind of like play a kid with powers yeah and even like the voiceover like was just I don't remember who did the voice for Firestorm, but it was this just kind of like, yeah, man, why we got to do this, man? Like it was just this kind of really upbeat, energetic take on the character that I just really had a fun time with. It was so much fun. I um, you know I've seen some of the cutscenes from MK11 and uh, played a little bit, and I, I really like uh, the, the Kung Lao character, which you ended up. It looks like you were playing Kung Lao, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I like how they kind of had to. You know, in, in MK9, of course, he ends up dying at the hands of uh, Shao Kahn. And in MK11, mm-hmm. it's like, you could, he's still kind of conceited. He's still kind of arrogant, but like he's more, he's mm-hmm. he's maybe accepted that he is second banana to Liu Kang. But he's still really, ah, he's just, ah, he's, so, he's so cocky. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's really funny. Um, so... I'll I'll talk about Kung Lao, but I, I want to mention like something happened at Netherrealm that really like brought the A game um, up because they they've been doing these really great like you know once Mortal Kombat Nine came out and then they moved to Injustice and you know MKX and Injustice Two um, like they've really been lauded as these great like storytellers like the the you know the gameplay has been really good really competent robust fighting mechanics but 
you know, you go look at the reviews and the story modes for as crazy as they are, are like a really good time, like a really great single player mode. Um, and something that happened in Injustice 2 is they started using facial capture technology. Um, and they, they kept that going into um, Mortal Kombat 11. And I'm seeing that a lot more. It's really permeated the industry. I mean, it's obviously out here in Los Angeles. And working with a head cam in addition to the bodysuit, like really just brings a level to the performance that is so fun and so much more um, lively. You know, it's it's really interesting. I remember, I remember when I like first started doing motion capture. I, you know, I pulled an animator aside and I was like, "What's the hardest thing? Like, what's what do you? What's the hardest thing to animate? Like, you know, is it like Kung Lao? You know, throwing his hat? Is it like shooting a fireball?" And he was like, "You know, honestly, the hardest thing to animate is just someone standing still." <laughs> He's like, like a sense of like weight and like. A sense of like space and gravity he's like is really hard to animate like all the crazy stuff because it's crazy stuff it doesn't have like rules that people would expect of it but seeing someone's just stand on the street is really hard to to make look natural <laughs> mm. <laughs> i was like oh that's i never thought about that that's really interesting so yeah like in justice 2 there was this really great article if i can remember to find it i'll share it with you um bill i think it may have been it wasn't Vice. It was like SeaTac uh, or I forget who. They did an article about the facial capture technology used in the game, and you can kind of see some of the behind-the-scenes footage. I'll try and ping it over to you if you want to share it. But it's such a cool. It just brings the perform. It brings the performance up to a whole new level. And again, it's being used more in films and and gaming and whatnot. And it's just so fantastic. Yeah, please do uh, share that article. I, I'm. Just thinking about now how on YouTube you can find these videos of when they were setting up the original Mortal Kombat, the one from like yeah. the early 90s. And it's like they've got one of the guys, he's like sitting on a plank so they can move the plank across the stage to get the animation of him doing the jump kick. Yep, yep, yeah. They did that um, with uh, in MK9. I remember we had to do the bicycle kick. Shang Soon was getting bicycle kicked by Liu Kang, you know, and... I had the easy part. I just have to pretend like I'm getting kicked in the chest 10,000 times. Um, but the guy who was playing Liu Kang, you know, I, we finally get to the scene. I'm like, how are we doing this? Like, what's the secret? Come on, like, how are we doing this? And they sat him in a chair. They tilted it back. And then he just, like, kicked his legs, like, a lot. Uh, and it just translates really well. <laughs> it just worked. I was like, ah, oh, that's how they did it. Are there any other huge ways or big or small ways that the uh... – animation process has changed in your time in the field just watching the console um generations happen has been really fascinating and again i'm a gamer so like i remember walking into netherrealm and seeing wii u development kits before the wii u was out there which was like so like just as a gamer i was like oh my god i want to like check that out so like obviously like you you watching the different uh technology generations happen it's kind of funny like to go back and watch you know mk versus dc or mk9 like we thought it was so groundbreaking at the time and you go back now and it's like oh man we've just gotten so much better especially again with like the facial capture like you watch you watch people's eyes in the facial capture and it's just so much more lively versus when you don't have it um but the facial capture like really 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 just took it up to a whole new level the the actual like performance capture stuff 
the the like once they got bought by NetherRealm, like they created this massive studio that was um, Warner Brothers gave them, you know, um, really nice new space in Chicago that was that is just this glorious looking gymnasium with all of these cameras in it, and sometimes they'll use that for other studios. So I've gotten to work on other games like Lord of the Rings Online. I got to work on that um, when that was being produced, and that was a blast to work on. But yeah, I, I would really say like the facial capture was like the next big leap you know, and how they do it. There's a lot of different other motion capture technologies out there. But even here in Los Angeles, like I'm, you know, I'm slowly networking into the Los Angeles scene. And I'm I'm seeing like, a lot of contemporaries and a lot of people who work or who I would love to work with working on gigs. And it's it's the same technology, you know, the spandex suit with the little balls, or like dots. As a gamer, like has doing this role or these roles changed like how you watch cutscenes and stuff can you be like okay this is where they just drew it in the engine this is where they got the actor to (laughs) step in yes yeah no totally that's that's well yeah that's it's so interesting that you bring that up yeah i do that you know like when you study comedy and then you go watch a comedy show and it's like oh they wrote this joke in there because of this or they changed this blackout to this because you know like you do the same thing but with motion so like i totally when i watch a movie or watch a game you know i'm like nope that's not motion captured. That was hand animated. Nope, nope. There we go. That's that's that, that's an actor. There's an actor. Nope, that's not an actor. Like I, I I just do it. And it's funny. Like playing the games that I've been in, I can see who is who. Like I don't see you know Liu Kang. I see my friend Lawrence, or I see you know this guy or that woman or whatever. Like I don't necessarily see the characters. I see my friends. <laughs> You know, like I recognize how they walk. It's so it's so funny to me. But yeah, I totally do that now with stuff. I'm like, nope. I was playing Final Fantasy X, you know, a few months ago, and I was like, oh, they didn't mocap that part. Oh, this part is. Oh, not that part. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, there is just uh, one last, I guess, uh, I would say three final questions I need to ask you. And I, need to, I ask these of uh, anyone who is a guest on the show. Um, I feel like there is a shared familiarity with Pokemon among pretty much all video game players. Either they've played the Game Boy games or Pokemon Go mm. or they've watched the cartoon. So with that all in mind, Chris, uh, if there is one Pokemon you could have as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you could eat, which would these Pokemon be? Um, well, I'm really fond of uh, cats. So, I mean, I do, th- I do think Pikachu is a really adorable Pokemon. Like, I do, I just think he's adorable. I really do. Um, not Pichu. He annoys me because of Smash Brothers. But Pika- Pikachu is just so damn cute. I really do like Pikachu. I like, I would be Charizard because it's a fire-breathing dragon. And one that I would eat. I don't know if I'd want to eat any Pokemon, Bill. That sounds would, horrible. Would you prefer to eat a byproduct of a Pokemon? Like uh, a to- a mill tank's milk or like a leaf from a Bulbasaur that has been shed of naturally. Sure, I, I guess I would try a-, a a salad of Bulbasaur shed leaves. I I would hope that would um, be healthy for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you bring up Pokemon because there's a few. I'm a pretty big nerd, and there's a few uh, gaps in my nerd history that I'm not proud of. Magic the Gathering be, being one of them. 
Pokemon being another. Uh, I've 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 only played Pokemon Moon quite a bit, and and I just I get why people love Pokemon, but it's just not for me. You know, like I get it. Like it's such a cool premise. It's such a cool idea. I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta save time for Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta pick and choose my game battles. Man, I I can tell you, I was looking at my. Uh game collection and like the games that are in my like backlog of like okay i want to play this and like the rpgs alone are like 700 hours it's like i'm never gonna play these games what what am i thinking yeah 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 you're not wrong i mean i finished final fantasy 12 this year i, hey. I bought this i got the yeah i got the zodiac age for switch and the switch really is a great way to play an rpg i will admit that and i i blazed through that game and loved it and have a much I have more respect for Final Fantasy XII than I did. Hmm. Also uses a lot of motion capture. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if there's anywhere you want people to find you, either in person or online, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on the Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Chris Bashan, which is pretty pretty easy to follow um i also have a nerd podcast that i do where we talk about gaming and comic books and movies uh called the nerd outcast podcast at gmail.com uh we talk about a variety of different topics i believe our last episode was skyward sword which had some lovely motion capture in it uh um i believe one of our new topics coming out soon is good omens um and we will eventually be doing a Breath of the Wild podcast, which I believe you are scheduled to be on, right? Yes. I... Yeah, great, great, great. That'll be a great discussion. So, um, yeah. And then uh, other than that, I'm out here in Los Angeles. If you live in the L.A. area, uh, we're new here. So I'm always looking to, to talk to people and whatnot, studying motion capture out here and have a couple of projects working in the pipeline that I cannot talk about so well i hope to hear about them very soon so uh chris thank you so much for your time cool thank you so much bill and we're back from break one more time big thanks to chris for coming back on uh just a quick note here chris has his own video game podcast maybe more of a a pop culture podcast it's called the nerd outcast podcast and he uh, has me on occasionally to talk about various topics uh, so i've been on to talk about uh final fantasy 8 with him i've uh been on to talk about uh the sega genesis and the sony playstation with him so yeah i uh would encourage you to go check that out he's got you know hundreds of episodes at this point i think so yeah that, that's uh, worth a listen as well and I'll be definitely on for an upcoming episode where we're talking about Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild. So look forward to that. In the meantime, though, on the So Many Bits podcast, uh, Brandon, mm. before we bring this episode to a close, there is something I have to handle here. Oh, uh, I think I, I think I know what it is. Oh, you know. You know. It's a magic oh, minute. It sure is. A magical, wonderful minute or less. Or less. It's Bill's Magic Minute. Uh, so for anyone who is new to the show, I'm a big fan of the game Magic the Gathering. I love to talk about it, but I don't want it to bleed out into the rest of the podcast. So I reserve myself 
this time period to get out any recent topics, news, events that have happened that I want to discuss. I have a d20 here. I'm going to roll it three times, and that will be how long I am permitted to speak about my topic of choice. Uh, this week I'll be talking about the banning of Field of the Dead in Standard. So let me roll the die here. Uh, so let's see here. We got... I have 23 seconds. Oh, man, that's harsh. All right, 23 seconds. Yep. All right, just uh, let me know. Uh, you're going you're gonna to time me, Brandon, and just, uh, yeah, let me know when to start and when to finish. Okay, ready, set, and magic. I'm concerned that the banning of Field of the Dead continues a trend towards banning or amending the available card pool in Standard from an unhealthy perspective. I think bannings are a uh, band-aid on a problem with the design of cards, that you can't necessarily rely on that, and it engenders hostility with the player base when you have to correct Magic issues. over, I'm afraid. Yeah, wow. Wow. <sighs> well, that, that time sure flies. It really does. When you're talking um, magic. I mean, it, it could be, it, it's a joy. It's honestly a joy. It lifts my spirits, but you know, you, you fair is fair. Yeah. I feel sometimes I'm stressed for you when I hear you, when I hear you going and I'm looking at the timer and I'm going, come on, Bill, get the, get, get it, get to it. Come on. It really encourages you to cut down on like the ums and ahs and like the intros. You just, you got to hit the ground running. That's right. Wow. Well, I'm always impressed. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that does bring this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, one more time, big thanks to Chris. Uh, Brandon, if you want mm -hmm. people to find you anywhere, either in person or along online, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at B -E -E Shock. Awesome. And as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast, from YouTube, from SoundCloud, or stream us on Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Uh, recently, I had Brandon on, and we played Wolfenstein Youngblood through to completion, which was pretty great. Yeah, I can't uh, believe we beat it. It was remarkable. I didn't think we were <laughs> going to get there, but we did. Uh, other games I played recently are Doki Doki Literature Club, uh, which I actually did finish. Uh, <laughs> I played uh, Control. I've played uh, the Sega Genesis Mini. So a bunch of you can you can see here already a bunch of different games across a bunch of different genres. And uh, yeah, if you also like other nerdy podcasts, my uh, podcast is hosted on nerdalogs.com. So please check that out as well for other uh, potential listens. And oh, one other thing, we're going to be doing Extra Life. Uh, so this will be the third year in a row that I'm going to be streaming a 12-hour gaming session for the Extra Life uh, organization. We're going to be raising money that will go towards the Children's Hospital of Illinois for people who are interested in donating. There will be... Uh, gifts that I'll be giving away. I'll be giving away some codes for Steam keys. I'll have some incentives for things I'm going to do on the stream if we hit certain benchmarks. And at the end of the day, I'll be giving away a Sega Genesis Mini. 
that'll be available to anyone who completes at least a $25 donation on that platform. So I do want to uh, thank you all for listening and have a great summer.